You're listening to Innovation Fuel, a business podcast by University Canada West. Bringing you fantastic stories for accomplished entrepreneurs and key industry professionals. Let's explore the entrepreneurial world through local businesses and our university community. Oh, God. Good morning. Oh, geez. Is it morning already? <laughs> glory, glory, glory. What is going on? You tell me you have a lot of sections this semester. Is there anything that you want to share with us? Oh, my God. Is there, is there anything I want to share? I, where do I start? We have some wonderful students at UCW, but we have a lot of students from many different backgrounds and cultures. And always, no matter what I run into, is this concept. I try to let people choose their own groups in group projects. I don't know. It always comes back and, and there's always some challenges. There's always this thing, oh, this individual didn't do this or this individual didn't do this. And I, and I become the intermediary. And I really don't want to be the intermediary. So do you think that what's the conflict between them mostly come from? What's the root of their conflict? Well, I think really, honestly, Gloria, I think, it, you know, because of so many diversity and the different cultures and the backgrounds, I think, you know, everybody does things differently. We all do things differently and we're not really thinking through. Maybe we're not thinking we're not thinking of our situation and how we we work in a group. And then we're not obviously thinking about how others work in a group. We're just storming together. And we know we talk about groups, dynamics, storming, forming, and norming. Well, I think when you get to that storming element, I, people are struggling to get past that element because they can't really find that inclusive way of, of communicating and working together effectively. And because of our tight terms and semesters, we're really tight in elements. They don't have a lot of time to do that element. So I think maybe that is the challenge. And how do we get them to be more reflective on the individual and how I'm contributing and then look to the other individuals to do the same thing in order to find that commonality? Exactly. Finding commonality and finding that, okay, whatever I'm saying, I'm always doing the same way. It doesn't mean that everyone is doing the same way and they believe in the same way of doing it. You know, we have to be more open to hear from each other, to listen to each other. Maybe they have a better idea based on their own experience, culture, beliefs. And it's not just about the classes and teamwork. It's about organization as well. You know, sometimes we don't even think there is some barriers for specific people. You know, we don't think that if I have this policy or if I have this type of job descriptions, maybe some people cannot come you know, and they don't feel they ha- they are belonging to this organization or this classroom or this teamwork. You know, maybe we need to put some some different lens on to look at it. Why something doesn't work and why we stop some people to come to our team, to our workplace, or applying for a specific job. Right? Yeah, I agree. And I think you know we we hear it all the time. And uh, the thing element, and we have to be aware of it. One of the things like over speaking over someone, that element of not giving people the voice and giving them an opportunity to have a voice and to create a space where where people can share their voice, no matter where it is. Maybe they're ext- extroverted, maybe they're introverted, but giving them opportunities to share. We have a guest today and she can help us to understand more about diversity, equity and inclusion. Let's welcome Anna Kosteska, diversity, equity and inclusions strategist. From Poland. Yes, welcome, Anna. We're so excited to learn so much about you. It's a very hot topic. We've got a lot to ask and a lot of questions. But before we get there, Anna, 
we need to connect you to this audience. We need to know who you are, Anna. Can you tell us a little bit about you? Of course. And Dave and Gellerich, thank you so much for the invitation. And typically when I start talking to a Canadian audience, I, I always say that I'm very excited to be here. And this is how an excited Polish person sounds like or looks like. So I do have this disclaimer And uh, I um, am a global diversity, equity and inclusion strategist uh, with over 10 years of experience working in this area. I actually spent most of my professional career in Toronto. And during the pandemic, I became a global remote worker and I moved to Poland. So I am connecting from Warsaw right now. And it's a very beautiful place as well. Thank you. And a little bit about me and, and my, my background. So I'm really fortunate to be able to do my work virtually. And essentially what I do is I help organizations create workplaces that work for everyone. And um, during the pandemic, I basically became an, an entrepreneur and I moved from overseeing um, a learning and consulting portfolio in one of the organizations in Toronto to um, creating my own consulting company that um, that works with employers in Canada and also here uh, in Europe. And uh, because I was really fortunate to work with a lot of amazing professionals in Canada, but also here in Europe, I set up my company as a collaboration platform. So uh, whenever I have a client for a specific project, I bring different um, practitioners that I know to, to help them on their journey. It is fantastic. But Anna, we really need to know what diversity, equity and inclusion means actually and why it's important, why business owners, leaders should take care of it. And this is a really good question because I find that we often use those words, but we have a different understanding of those concepts, right? So basically, when we talk about diversity, we talk about differences and commonalities that exist in a specific context and in terms of the group. And those could include things like our gender, our gender identity, our ethnicity, our race, our nationality, um, our age, but also things that uh, things like um, our belief system, our religion, um, a lot, a lot of different things. And in terms of diversity, equity and inclusion work, we focus on those differences that impact our experience in the workplace or in the society at large. When we talk about diversity, we talk about a group that is diverse at, at specific dimensions. When we talk about inclusion, it's, um, it's the state of leveraging this diversity, those differences. So it's really about, it's on one end is an action and on the other hand is an experience. So inclusion means that people are treated with respect, are treated fairly, and they feel like they belong and also that their unique perspectives are valued. The last concept, also really critical in the workplace, is equity. So we often explain equity with pictures. I use these pictures of different trees. When we see tree with apples on both sides, it actually has more apples on one side. And a person who's standing below the tree on this side is just getting more apples, while the other person is not getting that much. So if we treat everyone the same, we'll provide those two people with platters so they can go up and pick up the apples. But still, one person will be able to get more. And then when we talk about equity, we provide different ladders 
belonging to different groups have different needs because of the systemic barriers that we had in our society. That is great. I think that it's come to the different discipline process, right? How we can make our workplace working for everyone. I find that there's a lot of misconception about this work. And one of them is that it is about HR. And it actually is not true. Of course, human resources and all of the talent-related processes are important, but diversity, equity, and inclusion actually is connected to all of the parts of how the organization is operating. So you can think about it as um, kind of internal work and external work. So internal work would be about your people. So you think about your, your recruitment. Who do you recruit? How do you recruit? You think about advancement and promotions. How is it set up? Who, uh, who actually is at the leadership table, who is having more opportunities. You look at compensation. Is everyone uh, compensated fairly? You look at things um, like engagement. Are there differences between different groups? If so, why? You look at safety and belonging. So this is all in the organization. But then you also look at the external part and you look at the services that your organization provides, for whom it is designed, who, who do you serve. You look at your marketing, who do you show in your marketing materials. Um, you look at the community, your connections with the community. You can even use diversity, equity and inclusion lens in your procurement. I'm looking at this, I'm seeing this and I'm like, okay, so how do you approach this? You, you've got all these different departments, you've got all these different things, they're all different operating in different ways. Do you go and look at the individual? Do you go look at the teams? Do you go look at the organization? Or is it a combination of a variety of different things? So I usually take a systems lens and systems approach. So I look at as an organization as systems and uh, try to look at what is not working and design interventions for that. I would say is that it really, really depends because organizations are also at different stages of their diversity, equity, and inclusion journey. And for some organizations, like they have been on this journey for 10, 20, 30 years. They might have a strategy. They probably have many strategies connected to that. And they might need a specific intervention I could help with. You have organizations that are just starting, organizations that maybe have done something, but now they want to be more strategic. In every situation, you approach it differently. I also have sometimes leaders that lead teams, um, maybe teams of 10, that come to me and they want to work their own leadership capabilities and they want to work with their team. What I would say is that what is common, it, it always starts with commitment, leadership commitment, looking at what is happening, why is it happening, and then um, committing to changing it, changing it, learning from it, communicating what has, what has happened, uh, and, and doing it again and progressing again. And it's always about also about doing it with people in the organization, building capacity, and making sure that we're doing something that will actually works for um, for everyone, not just what I think is right. Do organizations know where they stand? Where are they? Uh, because, you know, what I can interpret is that, you know, any organization can go out and say, yeah, I, 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 I'm including people here. I'm hiring this diversity. I'm doing this element. But to what level and how do we measure their inclusion element? I would say that organizations that start, they typically say that we don't know. We don't know where we are. We think that maybe, you know, we are inclusive, but we're not. Or we know that maybe we have a problem with this, but we actually don't necessarily know. And they often say that we have no data um, that can tell us. 
But even then, even then, what you can do is you can organizations don't usually take this diversity, equity and inclusion lens when they look at the data that they have. So many times when you look at the employee engagement survey, you can see uh, there are questions that are around respect. You can see there are questions about belonging. So you can kind of create a bit of an index for an organization looking at looking at the information that, that they have. Of course, you will not probably know which group answered in which way, um, but this is some indication. You can also look at the practices that the organization has, right? So basically, if you don't address bias in your recruitment processes, if you don't have an onboarding process, an indication of what you what you are doing. So if you're not intentional, this is an indication where you are on all of those different things. Organizations actually typically collect a lot of data. We maybe not act on it that, that much, but, but there are exit interviews. You can see who's you know, exiting your organization. And you can also look at the composition of your workplace if it's a smaller organization who is in the leadership team, right? Um, where are you representative of the talent pool or, or not? So this is kind of at the beginning. But then you have organizations that, um, that can have a really good uh, measuring practices. And it would be around diversity. So you would measure... Uh, who you're hiring, you would measure, you would look at the composition of your leadership pool, um, or there are organizations that have inclusion index, so they ask many times employees how they feel, and they uh, analyze this data, uh, looking at different demographics and even at different intersections. So depending on you know how evolved you are, you can actually benchmark and you can see how you are doing. In this process, do you use any types of tools or indexing, like a standardization element? that goes globally that we know where you stand because I think every different culture around the world would have different standards. There is this document called Global Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Standards. And those are benchmarks created by experts from over 100 countries. So this is a great um, standard when you look at different practices. So they describe the areas and they describe specific things at uh, different levels. So you can definitely use, use that. Um, but in, in terms of other pieces, you can use different models of inclusion. And that's why, Gellerich, I really like your question at the beginning, what this inclusion is, because unless you define it, unless you as an organization has a clear definition, you can't measure it, right? So when you have this clear definition, then you can ask questions and you can, uh, and you can look, at, look at it. Um, and I would say, so I actually, what I like about right now being based in Warsaw is that I do more work, um, kind of cross-cultural work. Um, and so, for example, I would be working with a technology company that has offices in Canada, Malaysia, and Poland. And then when you, the same concepts can play out differently in those places. So there's definitely this element of looking at the local context. That is great. And I think that it's great that we apply EDI in our company, but I think that it's come with challenges. It's not easy to have an EDI that works for everyone. What is the most challenging aspects of working in the diverse environment? Well, this is a, just a very complex topics because, you know, our organizations replicate the systems that are not exists in our in our societies. And I think there are a lot of barriers to, to really move this work forward. 
I would say that one of them is really a commitment and a real commitment to change. And partially it's it's connected to the fact that people that are in the leadership team are not representative of the uh, of the whole population and they often miss the experiences that others have. If you have privilege, it's not so easily visible to you and oftentimes you don't see that maybe something that was designed as an objective, and here I'm doing air quotes, actually it's not. It privileges one group over, over the other. So I think there is this commitment and awareness that is that is really missing. I always say that this is a journey without a destination. So it's really about learning. It's about having empathy and being committed to really looking at your organization critically and, and looking at, okay, actually we've been doing this, but this is a barrier, so we need to change it. Would you give me some examples about barriers? Because I can think about hiring process or promotion process, but barriers, barriers for genders, barriers for ages, barriers for religious. What are the barriers and what are processes that you can see barriers in this? So you can identify barriers by looking at different outcomes for those, for the different groups, right? So we gave the example of recruitment. So if you are in, for example, Vancouver, right, where you are, and you look at your labor market and you look at what is the availability of this labor market, and then you look at your organization and you're completely not representing of the labor market, then you look into the specific barriers. And it could be that you don't attract people from marginalized groups, right? And then the barriers could be, where do you post it? Where do you source? It could be how you um, write your job descriptions. Um, it could be when you look at your company, who is visible at, you know, when you look at the team. If I'm a black job seeker and I look at the company and I see only white people, what is the message that it sends, right? Am I going to feel safe there? Am I going to be able to uh, get promoted there? So, so, there are, so those would be some examples of, of barriers. If I do work there, is it a safer environment for me? Can I be promoted? You know, at the end of the day in, in a workplace, you go there because you want to contribute, you want to develop, you want to just be a valuable member of a team. And if you can't, it's it's difficult. Do you think that it will apply for people with less experience? For example, immigrants, they don't have Canadian experience. Do you think it will apply to them or not? Well, so I worked in an organization that was focused on immigrant inclusion. And this is a topic that I feel very, very passionate about. And I have to tell you, when I moved to Canada, so it was 2013, it was the year in which the Ontario Human Rights Commission made asking for Canadian experience illegal. And I was just so surprised that something like that would actually exist I, I've heard about, and, and it just doesn't make sense. Like, why would you need someone to have a Canadian experience? I think the most absurd thing that I've heard was someone who was Canadian, who worked in the UK for a large company, that I think it was Visa, came back to Canada, and it was a barrier for her, and she heard that her Canadian experience expired. Like, can you imagine that? This actually, Anna, was a guest of ours, past episodes. Another one that had the same challenge. Remember, Gloria, she went abroad, came back, and she had the same challenge. She went abroad, and she'd been abroad for so long that her Canadian experience wasn't relevant anymore. <laughs> so it happened to me. I have a lot of international experience, and it doesn't count at all here because I didn't have Canadian experience. 
So if you want to categorize this one about equity, inclusion, diversity, which you will put in there? This narrative or this requirement or this mindset that someone who has not worked in Canada is somehow has experienced it is somehow, you know, less valuable is a systemic barrier. And I would look at it from the equity lens for sure. Right. So for, and I, you know, so this is Canadian experience. Um, I was working once with the organization that asked for a driver's license. I think it was G2. So if you're a new immigrant, first driver's license that you get is, I think, G1. So again, like they put something that was completely, it, it didn't matter for the job, but again, it created a barrier. So um, yeah, so to your question, um, being an immigrant is a part of a dimensions of diversity. And in Canada, it's actually very important because of this ridiculous Canadian experience uh, barrier. And, and I'm really sorry, but everyone who's listening to it, please realize that um, experience, you will benefit having international experience. So it's, and there's nothing, like I've worked in Canada for seven years. There's nothing magical about Canadian experience, honestly. Back to the classroom and how we can have, make sure that our classroom is for everyone. You know, in some ways, it's similar to the workplace that we all need to have the certain competencies required, right? So this is one thing on the on the part of the individual. So we need to be able to work with people that are, that are different uh, from us. And uh, on the side of how you design the classroom, again, who do you think is your audience? What examples are you using in the classroom? Who's shown as an expert? Like, who do you invite even to, to be a guest during the lectures? So you do work on kind of on the side of the curriculum, what is actually shown in the curriculum, who, whose expertise is validated, whose expertise is shown. Um, you work on the side of the environment in the class. You look at who's talking, who's not talking, what are the norms, how are you dealing with um, situations that are inappropriate. We know from research that, for example, women and racialized individuals are interrupted much more often. So just thinking about the guidelines that you have in your, in your classroom and then looking at who you invite as speakers would be some of the examples. And if we were to continue that, because I think the other challenge too, is I think I, I love what you're saying about the, you know, about that inclusiveness in the classroom and the, and the curriculum development and delivering of that curriculum. But the other side of it too, the faculty always struggle with, and it's the element of the group dynamics. How do we go now? Because especially with UCW, we do have predominantly international students from a variety of different places. And then we've thrown them together into a group setting and we get them working on these projects and all of a sudden we have all this feedback coming back of some challenges they're facing. And I, I guess how can we have faculty and set them up for success and being able to influence those individual students? I would say that in this particular situation, intercultural competence is especially important, right? So being able to see differences and adapt your behavior. And, and this is a competency. This is something that can be measured and developed for the faculty, but also for, but also for, stu for students. And I think that one of the biggest misconceptions about intercultural competence is that people think this is about learning about other cultures, right? So I will learn, I don't know, Gellera, if we work together, I will work, I, I need to learn about your culture and then we'll work well together. But actually the first step is I need to learn about my culture. 
I need to understand that this is my point of view. I need to understand what are my values and how they impact how, you know, how I behave. So when we started the podcast, I said that this is how an excited Polish person sounds, right? And this is this is coming from an experience of being in a Canadian workplace that it was the feedback that I got after a recruitment. I did not get the job. I was one of the two candidates and I got the feedback that the other candidate was just more excited. And I was thinking, come on, like, you know, when I care about something, I'm thoughtful. So when I was answering the questions, I was thinking about it. So my, in, in terms of my culture, um, this is how you show that you care. This is how you show professionalism. But um, this was, you know, read completely, completely different. So I need to understand it to be able to adapt my behavior. And now what I do is I just say it. People usually laugh and then I can be myself. Anna, at the end of every episode, we'd like to have a challenge that we'd like to throw out to our students. And I think you might have brought one for us today. So please let us know what your challenge is. Okay, so I would like you to start applying diversity, equity, and inclusion lens in your interactions. And I invite you to one activity. If you have a LinkedIn profile, use a LinkedIn profile. If no, um, you look at the different social media that you use and, and look at the first 10 people that you that, that you have there. So for example, if I would go on my LinkedIn, I would look at 10 of my LinkedIn contacts and see how diverse this group is. Look at the, the diversity of this group in terms of gender, in terms of race and ethnicity, in terms of disability. Just look at how diverse your network is and look who's missing and who's overrepresented. And if you see that you're missing a certain perspective, seek out and follow people that are members of different groups so we also have access to different perspectives so this is uh, this is my challenge for you for for this week i love it thank you very much dave thank you very much anna that was another episode of innovation field for listening to Innovation Fuel. We are on all podcast streaming platforms, Google, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Visit our website at www.youcanwest.ca slash innovation fuel. Also, follow us on Instagram at innovation underscore fuel.